0: I hope you've been enjoying the distribution. I want to hear from you. Please go to the link in the show description to provide your feedback on the topics and guests you would like to hear from. I appreciate your time and hope to keep giving you more of the conversations you enjoy. I'm Brandon Sedloff, managing director of Juniper Square and you're listening to The Distribution by Juniper Square. We're here on site today at the IMN CFO COO conference in Dana Point, California. We're spending time with industry thought leaders who are sharing critical insights and perspectives about the macroeconomic environment, the impending recession, or perhaps lack thereof, and more broadly, how leaders are driving operational efficiency in their business. Today, we're interviewing CFOs, CEOs, and COOs to gain critical insights. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Distribution by Juniper Square and learn as much as I have. Eddie, thanks for joining me.
1: Nice to see you again.
0: Great to see you. Yeah. yeah. So here we are. We're at the IMN CFO conference. It's May second of twenty twenty three. What are you hearing? What's on your mind? What have you learned today so far?
1: Gosh, you know what? It, it's terrific. First of all, you know, anytime that you can actually gather up and and kind of have a conversation with your peers, it's just a terrific outcome because no matter what happens, you're you're learning something, and if you're not learning, you you, you know, you're dead, right? This particular conference is very interesting because it's the COO and CFO conference and I'm a, a CEO, but from time to time, I sort of feel like I'm not getting enough of the in the weeds from my competitors and peer companies. Right. So today I've spent a lot of, a lot of my energy kind of meeting with folks and, and having some dialogue around some of the day to day business operations, which I'm actually w- well versed in, in my own company. I'm not, I'm not a, you know, in the clouds type CEO. I'm, I'm in the weeds myself. And so it's important that I understand what other folks are going through. And there's misery and loves company kind of idea, you know, at the same time. You know, one of the things that I've kind of landed on is. Well, if all of us in this sector are grappling with the same challenges, number one, it doesn't feel so lonely. And number two, it allows us maybe a little bit more freedom to solve the things that we can focus on. You know, we're not going to solve the debt market crisis overnight, but we might be able to solve some of the business operations issues or some of the financial reporting issues that certain groups are feeling or you know the investor relations issues that certain folks are feeling with that we're able to actually hone in a little bit more of where the problems that we can actually make an impact on solving
0: so in your opinion what are some of the problems that you think we can focus on now that we've established that a lot of us are suffering from the same set of problems and challenges in our business and it doesn't feel so lonely once you start talking <laughs> candidly with your peers
1: yeah well it's I think, you know, what it boils down to is communication. When people stop communicating or they start hiding in their offices or they're hiding, you know, under their desks or whatever they're hiding, they're not talking and they're not communicating and they're not communicating with their investors or their joint venture partners or their lenders. I mean, you know, the the day you stop that's open communication and a culture of communicating. You, you may as well throw in the towel. This sort of time that we're in right now is it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the inexperienced. And it's not for the folks who like to keep to themselves and try to, you know, put on a happy face and it's all good. Everything is good. Everything is great. Everything's not great. We got a lot of real serious issues, some of which we're going to be able to work on and some of which are out of our control. You know, the You know, the interest rate problem is going to be the interest rate problem. Whatever that is, whatever that leads to is something that the industry is going to have to contend with.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we can't control what the Fed's going to do with interest rates. Are they going to raise them? Are they going to hold them? How much longer? But I think one thing that I've heard a lot of talk about today at this conference in particular is the importance of relationships, right? So in relationships with your investor, give good news fast, bad news faster, but also the relationship with your lenders. What are you seeing, you know, as you talk to lenders that you've worked with, you know, do, are the relationships paying off or is there some flexibility there? Or do you think they will, if you haven't had to test it yet or kind of what's your sense?
1: Yeah. I think, I think that always relationships always matter. And I think that behavior matters. You know, if you're the type of person that wants to, again, hide under a rock or start hiding the ball, that's going to come back to haunt you at some point. Our lenders, we have terrific relationships with them. There's not a heck of a lot we can do about some of the deals. You know, If you've got a bridge loan that's been, you know, whatever, securitized nine times till Friday, there's not a lot you can do about it. The servicer is not going to make a special exception because you went to coffee or played golf with them. That's not going to happen. Right. But the transparency and the honesty and the integrity, that comes through. And so when, when we're faced with issues, which we've had plenty ourselves, we've figured out ways of working around them. Either we're rebalancing a deal or we're buying a, a new hedge or something like that. We're doing something that is making sure that we're staying on the forefront and we're giving ourselves time time to execute time to you know to improve the units if that was what our business plan was and really it's it's all about trying to maintain that that transparency and the and the communication line
0: so so we dove right into like the market fundamentals what's happening here at IMN you're the CEO of New Standard Equities Tell us a little bit about New Standard Equities so we have a framing for this conversation.
1: Oh, yeah, terrific. Yeah, sorry, we just jumped in. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, That's very exciting. I've known you for so long that (laughs) it's like, yeah, it's like buddies. I appreciate that. Actually, so New Standard Equities, for those of you who don't know, we're about um, a 13 year old firm. We've developed our processes and procedures out of sort of best in class. Uh, learnings from all of the various large institutional type operators that are out there, household names. And we've put together an investments team and an asset management team alongside a property management team, fully homegrown. And we truly deliver a best in class, you know, operating experience for our residents as well as hopefully, return-wise for our investors. We take a lot of pride in what we do. We aren't for everyone. We we invest exclusively on the West Coast. So we're big believers in the knowledge economy in greater Seattle and the Bay Area and Southern California, uh, Inland Empire. We've got some nice assets. We're very much in tune with the West Coast and what's going on. Despite the political challenges of the West Coast, we still have a vibrant workforce. We've got a really high income earner in terms of our resident profile. And we truly believe we're delivering the best of all opportunities for what that resident is willing to pay and what our investors willing to invest. And we try to find that inflection point where we get win, win, win. And hopefully, if we're doing that, if we're doing our job correctly, in any market, we're going to end up doing pretty well. And so, in in terms of size and scale, number of units, so we're we have about eighteen hundred at the moment. We've been as large as twenty nine, thirty, maybe three thousand or so. Okay. I I would love to get up to five thousand in a year. I have a big appetite. If anybody wants to invest, to. I've got. A lot of opportunities that I see out, out in the market in our particular submarkets, which I'm very excited about. But we stick to our knitting. We don't, right. we don't fish in other people's ponds. We really, we really make sure that we were, you know, local sharpshooter type experts in our exact markets. So with that investment discipline. Uh, we're not going to fit everybody's appetite. Some investors come to us and say, "Hey, we can't do california we don't We don't like the politics, or we don't like the whatever you know whatever the the du jour sort of reasoning is. But there are plenty that understand the the supply and demand dynamics here and the uh the the impossible supply problem that we have here, impossible to fix, yeah, given everything that we know about. So
0: So we talked a little bit about investors and yes, I think in a world where investor capital is abundant, there's a lot we can do. What is your take on kind of the current interest rate environment? That's been a conversation that we've heard talked about at nearly every panel. Obviously, interest rates are rising, but what impact is that having on multifamily and in particular multifamily in California and the markets that you operate in?
1: Yeah. So great question. It's a great topic. Wish we weren't having that topic. I wish interest rates stayed low forever. Yeah. But you know they they stayed low for a super long time and you know some would say they were way too low for way too long and now we're kind of paying the price but at the same time you you know maybe some of the good that's coming from this is a, a back to differentiation between markets Maybe there's a reason other than interest rates to buy assets and to buy and invest in, in multifamily. Maybe you're really following along in the tech space, for instance, and you're, you believe that Silicon Valley is still the, you know, the mothership of all tech innovation in the, in the world. And if you do believe that maybe, maybe buying a a multifamily asset in that market is a great idea. I particularly think yes that's where <laughs> you want to go but interest rates are where what you're paying today for the opportunity and okay so maybe it's you know maybe you're paying 5 6% maybe it's 7 maybe it's 8% cap rates ought to come back to the sort of revert to the mean eventually which means maybe you're at a five cap today maybe it's a six cap tomorrow But in two to three years, it's probably going to be back in sort of reverting to the mean, let's just say in the Bay Area where you're at four and a half. And if you're at a four and a half and interest rates are five or four or five and three quarters, whatever that is. And, you know, the stuff that we invest in is all value add. So we're hoping to improve that, that income. Ultimately, you're getting to about the same, you know, interest rate and cap rate dynamic that we've always seen, uh, which is, you know, usually it's somewhat on the rim, but it's either positive or negative and you kind of deal with it on a case-by-case basis.
0: But until we get there, there's been a lot of conversation. I think we were talking about it on the floor earlier about cash-in refis and portfolio recaps. I mean, what are some of the tools at your disposal as you think about kind of working through the current environment?
1: Yeah, it's great. We have some assets where we actually we had floating rate loans and you know rate caps coming due and we were able to actually refinance to a fixed rate product and we give we gave cash back you know we we just returned i want to say 2 four, 6 million dollars i think on three different assets to our mm-hmm. investors so that was a great win that's great other assets were facing some capital calls that'll be a little bit of pain but we're Basically saying, hey, we can actually buy a rate interest rate hedge, and it's really prepaying your interest, if you will, and hopefully interest rates come back down a little bit. But depending on where you are and where the where that investment is, you know, you've been able, we've been able to actually move our rents to accommodate that rising interest rate cost, and then, you know, it it doesn't leave a lot left for investor distributions, and we call it distribution, but it doesn't leave a lot lot right now for distributable income. But we've been able to pay our debt service and pay our employees and keep the lights on and keep the the engine going. And we hope to be able to continue that, whether it's through capital calls and paying down some loans or buying a a rate cap or refinancing the entire thing. So hopefully the assets that we purchase and that we're in are quality enough to kind of ebb and flow with us that we can mitigate the capital stack pressures.
0: Right. Yeah. I think somebody said earlier that real estate is not worthless. It's it's a resetting of the capital structures that have been established that work for the old environment don't necessarily work for the new
1: environment. That's right.
0: So when you think about, you know, you've got one side of the equation that we have no control over, you have interest rates, you've got the macro environment, nobody can control the Fed as much as people want to try or even guess what they're going to do. The other side, you have operational efficiency, right? A lot of CFOs and COOs here are talking about the middle and back office and operational efficiency. As a CEO, how do you think about kind of operational efficiency in your business as a way of bringing costs down or or getting more out of your employees, whatever it may
1: be? It's it's an interesting topic, especially the way we are, we're structured. We are fully vertically integrated. So we do our own property management, asset management, accounting, construction management. We're We're doing everything we can to service that resident and their needs, as well as the needs of our investors and the needs of our employees. So we're really trying to find that perfect balance all the time. If we can find operational efficiencies at the site level, we'll, we'll make that investment or we'll make that change. If we can find operational efficiencies at the corporate level, we'll go ahead and make that change as well. Nowadays, we're looking for ways of implementing sort of a, a centralized, centralized kind of function in some areas of our company. And in other areas, we're, more, we're seeking more specialization. So whoever we can find to join us usually winds up being cross-functionally trained. So right. we actually have, you know, folks that are asset managers that used to run buildings in the property management space. And we have construction managers who used to, you know, run buildings, or we'll have accountants that used to be, you know, work on site or or, you know, and vice versa. So we're really trying to find people who can wear a lot of different hats and contribute in a collaborative way across the spectrum of the business.
0: So as you look forward over the next six to 12 months, what are you most optimistic about? And then what is keeping you up at night?
1: Well, the further out we go, the more optimistic I get. (laughs) So that's key. If you look at our industry, Particularly on the West Coast, we're not building enough housing. It's a huge social problem, actually, to be honest. We're, we're asking a lot out of our existing rental stock in terms of, you know, supplying the, the correct kind of housing that our people need. The government is not doing us any favors with regard to lack of construction and lack of, you know, affordable housing alternatives. And it's unfortunate on that end. But on the multifamily side for market rate operator, we can just do what we can do. But when you look out far enough, you realize that at least on the West Coast, that fundamental dynamic has not changed and it won't change. So what I see in the future is a greater demand on our housing and with greater demand, that means the you know prices are gonna go up with prices going up there's an opportunity to ethically make money and by ethically i'm saying we're going to continue to supply quality housing we're going to ask a fair price for the product that we're offering and we're going to hopefully do it in a compassionate and thoughtful way if we fail at any of those things you know so be it i you know we we are definitely trying our best right but That doesn't really answer your question in the short run. So in the short run, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of challenges. We're we're only doing... We haven't purchased a new asset in a year and a half now. And that's because we want to be really, really sure that we can do what we say we're going to do in the the sales market and the buying market. And I want to make sure that it's the right underwriting for where I see the risks. To be and we've just now in the last call it month to two months have seen some stuff that i think would actually work pretty well and make pretty pretty darn good investments especially mm. on a risk-adjusted return and i think that that's gonna you know start to loosen up a little bit and we'll see more of that stuff come out i'm not really super interested in mining lenders the stuff that they've had to take back you know usually at least at this point in the cycle, it's it's some kind of not-so-pretty things yeah. uh, that they've got. And I'm I'm interested more in things that are sustainable to reach that long-term horizon that I talked about.
0: So very bullish, deep thesis on California mm-hmm. at a micro or kind of regional level, which is where you operate. The national headlines are such that it would lead you to believe that California is going to have zero population by the year 2050 you know, we're talking about supply constrained market. We're talking about rental rates going up, you know, wages need to go up. The Fed's trying to keep wages low. We'll see if they're successful. Do you have any concerns about kind of the workforce or how do you see that shifting in California? You know, it's compounded by, you know, COVID to current macro.
1: You know, the current, the COVID thing, The COVID thing is crazy bananas. I mean, I, you know, there's no other way to put it. We just now are having our moratorias, you know, moratoriums. (laughs) Anyway, we're just now having those lifted in some of our markets. Crazy. Yeah. It's like COVID is finally coming to an end, uh, which is a great thing. By the way, not just for the landlord for collecting the cash but how do you operate a building for the 75 or 80% of the other people that are paying their rent? Right. How do you operate that and give them what they deserve when you have a 20% hole in your income? Right. So it it really is unfortunately for those folks that aren't paying their rent, it's impacting the whole and those folks ought to think about the rest of their neighbors, not just the landlord. It's not a landlord or housing provider versus resident sort of dynamic it's a the world needs to come together and realize that hey it is time to pay the rent because everybody needs to be taken care of and it's really hard for us to do that with that whole so aside from the covid dynamic it's hard to really explain my perspective i grew up i was born in california i think you know and i'm of now i get to say i'm of at a certain age but I've been hearing about California falling into the ocean literally since the 70s. You know, so every, you know, even I think it was Superman, the movie, you know, <laughs> they were they a nuclear bomb was going to hit the San Andreas and knock off half the state. So California is not falling into the ocean. We have our issues. We have some problems. But we have the greatest economy. Literally, I think we're the number five in the entire world. Right. Even people talking about leaving, like, oh, people left. It's like, they didn't really leave. If you look at the Bay Area population where you guys- shifted. It shifted, but the Bay Area actually expanded from 2019 to 2023. So through COVID, through the remote working and all of that, and through the exodus out of San Francisco and now back to the work, it's actually expanded. So we have more people living in the Bay Area, than literally ever before, and that sort of dynamic exists across the spectrum in our major metropolitan areas. Right. And so, yes, we have some move-outs and we have some shifting and whatnot. But California is a huge state, yeah. and you—you you, unfortunately there's a lot of traffic. We can't, we don't we haven't felt anybody, you know, socially or 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 you know, comfort-wise in our cars. Like, oh, good. Now, now we're like empty. We're not empty. No, we're we're roads, are full. Yep. Well, roads are full. Yeah. we roads are full. You know, restaurants too. are full. It's impossible. It's, everybody's doing pretty darn well here. I shouldn't say everybody, you know, uh, we're, we're doing well and we're going to continue to do well. Um, it's just a challenge. It's yeah. a challenge, but it's, we've seen it before and we will continue to mitigate those challenges the best we can. And when, you know, folks are going out in other parts of the country, they love to talk about California this or, uh, you know, it's bad stuff, blah, blah, blah. Everybody has their issues. It's, (laughs) everybody has some, whether it's the cost of, you know, your real estate taxes in Texas or your insurance in Florida, you you know, everybody has problems. Everybody's got issues unforeseen. And you just got to become the market expert in your area and you can mitigate the lion's share of those risks.
0: So I know we're almost up on time here, but in closing, any predictions that you have for 2024? I know it seems a ways off. We're sitting here in May, but what does 2024 look like?
1: I think we're going to have a little bit of a recession at the end of this year. I think it's going to last eight months or so into middle of 24, maybe toward the end of 24, and we're going to come out of this. And by 2025, we're gonna all wish we had bought in 2023. My goal and my role as a CEO of a multifamily investment company is to explain to investors that now's the time to to move. Now's the time to refinance, acquire, do whatever we can at cap rates that feel pretty fair right now. When you look back at this year, at this point in time in 2025, everybody's gonna wish. They were us buying whatever they possibly could because 2025 is going to be a banner, banner year.
0: Well, on that note of optimism, Eddie, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's great to see you as always. I'll let you get back out there.
1: All right. Take care. Take care. Thank Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: I'm Brandon Sedloff, Managing Director of Juniper Square, and you've been listening to The Distribution by Juniper Square. We've been coming to you from the IMN CFO COO Conference in Dana Point, California in May of 2023. Over the course of the last few days, we've had the opportunity to learn from industry leaders and get their perspectives on what's happening in the market around interest rates, the recession, and how to build operational efficiency and resilience into the markets. A few of the takeaways that I've observed are that number one, real estate still remains fundamentally a people business and your relationships with investors and your lenders matter. Do the right thing. Second, We are a very optimistic bunch, and by and large, most people believe that things will get better. It's only a matter of time. And lastly, we need to remember that real estate fulfills a critical need in society to be the place where people live, people work, and people play. So while the macro environment remains uncertain and nobody can control what the Fed is going to do, the outlook for commercial real estate remains bright and for those firms who are focused on the fundamentals of asset management, driving operational efficiency, focusing on their core competencies, they will survive, they will thrive, and together the industry will emerge stronger than ever before. Thank you for joining me and listening to The Distribution by Juniper Square. If you want to follow along, you can follow me on LinkedIn under LinkedIn forward slash Sedloff or on Twitter at bsedloff.